Pushkin. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Dana Goodyear. On this season of Lost Hills, I've talked a lot about the Malibu of 40 years ago. Malibu when the railers lived there. How it was this really small town, but with all these unusual things about it. It had become desirable. And this, at least according to the Santa Barbara DA, was what drove Fred Rayler to murder his two wives and his stepson. The desire to control a fortune in Malibu real estate and collect a bunch of insurance money that would fund his life there. Everything I learned made me think that Malibu in the 70s and early 80s was an insane place. Insanely wonderful, insanely scary. It was this swirl of money and celebrities and cowboys and drug dealers and musical geniuses living in shacks on the beach that were starting to be snapped up for millions. And just like on the canyon roads, there were no guardrails. Malibu in the 70s was like the movie The Ice Storm meets Boogie Nights meets Lord of the Flies directed by swingers on blow. This is Rob Lowe. We, we'll, we could go on a tour of Malibu. I go, dead guy there, car crash there, five people died there, three people died, just on Point Doom alone. Rob Lowe is a super famous actor who spent his teenage years in Malibu. In the 70s and 80s, when Fred, Gene, Verna, and their kids lived there. Rob moved to Malibu with his mom and brothers in 1976. He was 12, a hayseed from Ohio with dreams of stardom. He was not prepared. Yeah, was it? Well, literally a frontier. Um, the, the local supermarket had a hitching post, and, and, and people would get on their horses and go to the market when I got there. You also have to remember it was never, it was before it was gentrified, first of all. What it was originally were outcasts, 
people looking to escape, counterculture people, burnt out actors and rock stars, and then regular working class firemen, policemen, the odd architect. That was the socioeconomics of Malibu. But like, I come to that from wanting to be in show business and knowing nothing and having nothing like that in Ohio. And my mind was blown, blown never to recover. His mom rented a little ranch house on Point Doom. It had a corral for horses in the back, built out of wood from the set of Planet of the Apes. It was magic. It was. You just smelled sage and eucalyptus. And I remember the ants. I remember I'd never seen so many ants. The ants would come out of the electrical sockets. The, the apocryphal legend was that the captain and Tennille had recorded Love Will Keep Us Together in a makeshift studio at the house in what became my bedroom. The way he describes Malibu back then, it was surreal, like a dream populated by faces from your TV set. You'd go to our elementary school and it would be shut down for the day because Farrah Fawcett Majors would be filming Charlie's Angels. Linda Ronstadt would come to my talent show. We would come out on the playground and hear planes flying above and they would be shooting the air battle sequences for the TV show Baba Black Sheep. Fonzie jumped the shark. The famous phrase about a show jumping the shark. I saw Fonzie jump the shark. He jumped the shark at Paradise Cove in front of the house my grandparents would rent in the winters. And on 4th of July, the fancy, famous people would throw a big party and everyone was invited. There were big rock stars and they were all in the colony. Um, I have great memories of the colony and the 4th of July, which was such a thing. It was an open house. You would literally walk into house after house after house that you didn't even know whose house it was. And I can remember walking into a bedroom and seeing two naked people screwing. And it was like an, just a, a, a literally a, like almost like an orgy drug and alcohol free for all. And, you know, that was like the Linda Ronstadt, Peter Asher, Larry Hagman, Larry Hagman. That's the famous, that, that's a well-documented story. You know, when he was the cat's meow in Dallas. Now we're obviously a little bit later in the timeline, but he would legitimately lead a parade down the beach wearing an Indian headdress every night at sunset. And you could join in or not join in. And that's what he did. But even more reliable than the colony for a starstruck young Rob Lowe was the grocery store on Point Doom. One of the biggest things on TV at the time was the miniseries Rich Man, Poor Man. I loved it. And Nick Nolte was the star. It was Nick Nolte's first thing. And I would run into him at the market. I remember, you know, this is also in the era where Martin Sheen was always like protesting. Remember, he called me once and said, will you come down and protest the market with me and Cesar Chavez over grapes? I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the beach, my girlfriend, Martin. But I would go to that market and one day I ran into Nick. And he's like, how's Martin Sheen? You ever see Martin? I was like, you know, he's actually um, on a political uh, sabbatical in Nicaragua. And I remember Nick going, Nicaragua! 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 And like mo- moving back with each time he said, Nicaragua! Until he fell over into a stacked can of baked beans. Nicaragua! Clink, clunk, clink, clank, clink on his back. And then, and then um, 
there was a great time where my mom was like, that's Steve McQueen, Robbie. That's Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen was a movie star who was married to another movie star, Ali McGraw. You heard her in the first episode of this season. Ali and Steve had discovered Malibu in the early 70s, and they ended up on Broad Beach. They were pioneers. This is Ali. Well, uh, first of all, I'm from New York, and I found myself living in uh, Beverly Hills, actually, when I married Bob Evans, and we had a child. And when that marriage broke up, uh, I, I married Steve McQueen, and we decided we wanted to get far away from the center of L.A. It was a funky little um, movie theater, which was great, next to a pizza place owned by one of my son's friends' families. And John's Garden, which was this huge kind of perpetual farmer's market with wonderful food next to a a sandlot playground that, that Fred Siegel had created, where all the kids just played while we ate sandwiches and caught up and and a place to buy blue jeans and bathing suits. It wasn't this repository of somebody's sixth home. You know, we really lived there. We shopped at the grocery store. We walked our dogs. We went to the school, the, the, the public school, and participated with our kids. And that's what I wanted as a childhood for my kid. I don't know how I would have done it in Beverly Hills. Back to Rob's Steve McQueen story. And I'm like, sort of vaguely knew who Steve McQueen was, because in the mid-70s, he, he was, you know, he had a kind of cold streak, but I knew he was famous enough. And um, I was an audacious kid, and I went up to him and said, excuse me, sir, could I have your autograph? And he looked at me, first he smelled like an animal with a five o'clock beard and his shirt untucked, really dirty, and he was carrying like four six-packs of beer. And he goes, why do you want my autograph, kid? I ain't no one. Never forgot that. I ain't no one. And then there were the people who were like seeing Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster, where you knew they were around, you were told they were around, but you meanwhile, you'd never seen them. And that would be like Barbara Streisand. Like nobody ever saw Barbara. I mean, Barbara's a legend. I've gotten to luckily become very good friends with her. But I didn't know her then. And, and that's in that era, like that sort of what's up, Doc, Star is Born, Chris Christopherson. He would have been around a little bit. Just unbelievable, unbelievable times. And then, you know, there was the moment when Bob Dylan secretly bought up a bunch of properties on, on Point Doom where I lived. That started that level of people coming in. And then, of course, Johnny Carson was the very first sort of establishment. You don't get any more establishment than Johnny Carson. And the music being recorded in Malibu, it was legendary, culture-changing. Neil Young, Bob Dylan, and the band. And everyone was recording at Robbie Robertson's studio overlooking Zuma Beach. We found a, it used to be a bordello, this place that was called Shangri-La. That's Robertson, who we also heard from in episode one. It used to be a bordello for cowboys, cowpokes. That, that, that there's a lot of ranches out there. This was a ranch, so we thought, wow, this place is perfect, you know. So we turned it into something, and then 
Over a period of time, more and more music people started gravitating out to Malibu, and people wanted to use this studio because it was cool, and it still exists. Rick Rubin, uh, the music producer, he has it now, and it's as beautiful as ever. All that got rolled into the Malibu myth, which young Rob Lowe spooned up with his Wheaties. You know, the other thing I love is is that great song from 1979 called Gold. That's uh, when the lights go down in the California town, people are in for the evening. That song, it's Stevie Nicks singing duet in the great line, driving over Canaan, singing to the soul, because people out there turn the music into gold. So clearly, the adults were having a grand old time. But what about the kids? That's coming up right after the break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash loss today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash lost. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency, Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, 
meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. In just about every interview I've done about Malibu in the three years I've been making Lost Hills, there comes a point where the person I'm talking to brings up the energy. With Rob Lowe, it happened at minute 14. I actually think there's an element to it of, and this is going to sound very, I don't know, woohoo, is there's a there's a, an energy in Malibu, sort of a karmic mana something there. I really believe that. That's that's really attractive and exciting, but there's a, a real devil's bargain. And I think it a lot of it, I swear to God, has to do with Malibu itself. I don't know if that's Shumash Indian stuff or, or what. Listen, if there's such a thing as a vortex and in that there's a vortex that you could tap into or go looking for, if those things exist, then there's definitely one there. <laughs> for sure. What he means is, shit got real out there on Point Doom. What people don't realize about Malibu in that exact area, uh, era, I moved there in the summer of, the bicentennial summer of 76, and lived there pretty much full-time until 86, was, was how rugged and violent and dark it was in addition to all of the other things. I always say, like, the, the toughest white people, I think, that I had ever encountered, that could, I could ever imagine, would have been a local resident in Malibu in 1976. Man, white people can be tough. And whenever I ran into, like, Sean Penn, we, like, look at each other and go, dude, oh, fuck, dude, we have to do a, a movie about our childhoods. Rob Lowe, he's a writer, too. And he's written about what he calls the savage undercurrent that ran through Malibu in those days. I went to, um, it's now the high school. It's now called Malibu, whatever the hell it is, high school. When I went to their seventh, eighth, ninth grade, three years, um, eight kids died. 
Now, today, if eight kids died in a school over the course of three years, it would be headlines. And there would be uproars and there'd be panels and there would be think pieces and there would be, you know, you know, Malibu strong slogans and everything else. And, and in those days, you're like, yeah, no, that was pretty radical, wasn't it? Okay, next. There were kids, so clearly there were parents somewhere, but they weren't, as a rule, raising their kids. There was no parenting. I never saw parents, ever. And in fact, my brother was given his first joint by his best friend's mother in the fifth grade. And uh, the great quote was, she wanted to, quote, smoke him out. (laughs) Hey, you want to get smoked out? And she, of course, also had a a waterbed with a gigantic vibrator that she hid underneath it. And that was also a big moment in my brother's development, finding that. The adults were finding themselves in a big orgy of self-involvement, which was happening on top of a mountain of cocaine. So it was the sort of burn your bra movement had kind of happened. You know, whenever something big culturally happens, there's that moment of, okay, now what? That had happened. Divorce had become not a scarlet letter for the first time. Like everybody was, everyone was doing it. You know, everybody was doing like Est. Everybody was, Est was a big thing. Everybody was doing Est. And everybody was, we thought, you know, Coke had just gone from sort of the rock and roll culture into suburbia and it was still good for you. You know, that, that was the thing. It was, it was good for you. It helped you think. And, and, um, and it's what successful people did, don't you know? So, like, those were all of the... Me- and, and there were only two types of pot. Maui Wowie. And, how hilarious is that name? Maui Wowie. And what was the other one? Um, gosh. I was never a pot guy, so I don't know. Two types of pot. That was it. Do you remember the moment when Coke came in to Malibu? Oh, yeah. 100%. I, um, you know, I had moved to Malibu from, from Dayton, Ohio and, and Dayton, <laughs> Dayton, Ohio was very, very different to put it mildly. And, um, I was never really accepted by the cool kids cause I didn't surf. Um, and I didn't play beach volleyball. I played tackle football, wiffle ball, baseball. Those are my sports. Volleyball was not on my thing. And like, if you didn't do one of those two things, you were not a guy. And then, of course, I wanted to be an actor, and no one wanted to be an actor then. Like, it just was, even in, I thought moving to California, everybody would be an actor, and it was not true. They were equally as flummoxed by a 13-year-old wanting to be an actor as, as, as the kids were in Dayton. Anyway, so I was never really accepted by the cool kids. Um, but I did get to one cool kid's birthday party. It was her seventh grade birthday party. And the big gift she got from her seventh grade best friend was a two gram vial of Coke. And I remember that I was like, wow, okay, I am in the inner sanctum of Malibu cool. Seventh grade. I'm going to say 70, 78, 70, let's say 78. And I remember it was in that, you know, those, those like, copper colored bottles with a black top screw on top with a with a with a chain and a coke spoon hanging off of it 
And do you think she had got this kid had gotten it from her parents or how, I mean, like stolen it from her parents or how do you think you even get Coke when you're 14 years old in Malibu? Well, I mean, you know, I, 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 I know of one parent who kept their Coke in their sock drawer and the entire neighborhood knew where it was. But if all the parents are kind of acting like teenagers, I guess, on this sort of quest for identity, then where does that leave the kids? It leaves us running around in the gullies, smoking dope, and eight kids getting killed, overdosing on strychnine, which they think is coke and turns out it's rat poison, or quaaludes, and then deciding to go into the ocean for a swim and never being seen again, or being on another friend of mine on his 10 speed bike coming down Selfridge, something goes wrong with the bike. He crashes into a tree and a stick goes through his eye and he dies. It's just like, not only did the kids die, but they died in really like horrible ways, you know, based on the times we were all freaked out about it for about a week. And then you kind of moved on. Nobody's ever said anything. There's never anything in the paper that I remember or nothing. Disturbing stuff would happen all the time, like one long after-school special. All the blonde kids in OP shorts and hang tan shirts, but with a bizarro celebrity twist. Do you know another great story is um, when Bob Dylan was going through a custody battle and his wife sent a bunch of goons into Mr. Seal's sixth grade class at Point Doom Elementary to kidnap the kids. And they hid in the um, closets while these guys ransacked the classroom. Gnarly, really super gnarly. My brother was in the class when it happened. Really insane. Police, like the whole. And again, today, that'd be TMZ. For a, a year, they'd be talking about it. This kid, I can see his face I can, in my mind's eye, in his name. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, give, I, I wouldn't give his name because he, he survived this. But it was a kid in my school, in, again, in junior high, who was hitchhiking on Canaan. Got picked up, and the guy took him into the woods and chained him to a tree and took a pair of tweezers out and tweezed out every one of his pubic hairs. As I hear myself say it, it sounds like bullshit. It's a ghost story. Yeah. Insane. 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 And I'm sure nobody ever found the guy or caught the guy. or. <laughs> no! No! Are you kidding? Nobody ever said a word. It was like, oh, wow, no way! Yeah, way! Dude, that's so gnarly! Uh, and nothing. No announcement at the school, no counseling, no, like, it, it just was, I mean, he just, the one thing is he never came back to school. He was go just gone. Then there was Paul Hackett, the first kid Rob Lowe knew who got famous, a Malibu demigod and a skateboarding legend. His story is after the break.
small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first-place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Paul Hackett, the Malibu skater kid, 
made the cover of Skateboarder magazine in 1977, which, for Malibu kids, was supernova stardom. Paul Hackett was the first person I ever knew who had his own poster. And he was gorgeous. Blue, crystal blue eyes, handsome. Every girl loved him. I was super jealous of him. I think he was like two years older than I was. And he was a skateboarder. And this is, that's the other thing that was huge then. Not this thrashing skate park shit that we have now, but like, you know, Lords of Dogtown. Like that kind of like real skateboarding. You'd, you know, find abandoned pools and skate. And it was, it was very sort of counterculture and punk rock and badass. And kids were super tough who did it. Nobody wore pads. And Paul Hackett was the star. He was on the cover. First person I ever knew to be on the cover of a magazine, skateboarder magazine. And the first person who, who did what they call an aerial, which sounds quaint to even say today. That's when you take your skateboard and fly up over the lip of the pool, which is now any kid does that. But in the day, it was revolutionary. Well, Paul Hackett one day, um, I think, took some PCP and um, came home to his parents' house at the top of what was then called Sunset Mesa. I think it still may be up by the Getty at the bottom of Malibu and asked his mom to make him a sandwich. His dad was watching TV and he'd been up all night. And I won't even tell you what he'd been doing before he got home because it's a, that, that's for, for offline, but it was kind of gross and weird. But he asked his mom to make him a sandwich. She started to make him a sandwich, walked away from the knife. He picked it up and stabbed her to death as the dad watched TV. He then took his skateboard and skated. If you've ever been to Sunset Mesa, it's, a, it's way steeper than Gray Fox and really longer. And he tried to commit suicide by skating all the way down and through PCH to light, you know, hoping to get by a car. Didn't get hit by a car. Picked the skateboard back up, walked all the way back up again. Did it again. Didn't get hit by a car. Ended up in what was then the Camarillo Insane Asylum in a four-point tie. And that was the last I ever heard of him. Still, Lowe talks about his time in Malibu with a ton of affection. He calls it a California Tom Sawyer type of childhood. So I ask him why he didn't stay and raise his own kids there. That version of Malibu was gone when it became Billionaire Row. Look, when I grew up there, there was one movie theater and one record store. And you couldn't get a record or a movie that was contemporary or new for over a month. And now Malibu has everything. It has paparazzi. That didn't happen. Today, if you go to get a, you know, Starbucks, there's seven paparazzi taking your picture. That was unheard of. Um, and everybody's super wealthy. And so, you know, that, that Malibu I knew, that sort of quaint ride your horse to the supermarket was gone forever. So that was, it was never an option to, to raise them there. So I tried to find the next best thing, and I found Montecito in Santa Barbara, which are the closest things, and, and that's now changed. But 28 years ago, Montecito, Santa Barbara, was as close as I could find in California to the Malibu I, I grew up in. The one place he still feels the old Malibu is Point Doom, where he grew up. 
it has remained the most time-warped area of Malibu, I think, to its credit. I will say, point to me, and I'm there all the time because I go and I, I still surf there and I have a friend who has it. My friend has the only property with a private gate onto the actual beach, which is extraordinary. And as you know, it's gated and you have to have a key to get in there. I'm on, so I'm on Point Doom a lot. The horses have been replaced with highfalutin, high-tech golf carts. So now the kids rip around and their parents' golf carts. It's the MILF capital of the world. There was one MILF when I was there, and that was my friend's mom, who looking, looking back on it, she was probably all of 26. She was a checkout girl at the Mayfair Market, and she's the one who hit her dildo under the bed and smoked us out. But now, you know, all the moms are particularly cute <laughs> in Malibu, and they're all driving their toe-headed kids with their boogie boards and their gigantic, you know, beach cruiser golf carts down to the, to the thing. But, but what's weird, what's happened now is all of those little ranch houses are bought up by people who don't live in them. So there's this weird thing now of seasonal occupants that did not ever happen. So a lot of people buy the houses just to surf. Like I, I know a tech guy who bought a house, you know, right on Gray Fox and he's there, you know, only when he wants to surf. The rest of the time he's in the Bay Area. So, you know, it's different. Rob Lowe's stories have this very particular Malibu quality. Sun-dazzled, gold-dusted, but right under that, menace, fear, maybe death. Growing up there was a wonderful trauma that he's still processing. The people who survived it, like whenever we see each other, we like run and like clutch onto each other like debris in a shipwreck. He feels lucky to have lived in Malibu back then and to have made it out alive. For more Rob Lowe, check out his podcast, Literally with Rob Lowe, where he talks to friends like Molly Ringwald and Jennifer Aniston. It's in its second season and releasing new episodes. He's also got a new podcast, which he co-hosts with Alan Yang, called Parks and Recollection. It's all about their work on Parks and Rec. As for me, we have another season two bonus episode coming up in a few weeks. Stay tuned. Lost Hills is written and reported by me, Dana Goodyear. It's created by me and Ben Adair and is a production of Western Sound and Pushkin Industries. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? 
I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.